Friday night, old Bubba, he was running some moonshine across the county line. You know about Bubba, don't you? You know Bubba? He was running moonshine, and he was pulled over by a state trooper. Well, to make matters worse, there he is. He's sitting on the front seat of his pickup truck, and he's got an open jug right next to him. It's obvious he's been drinking the contraband. Well, as soon as Bubba rolled down his window, the officer could smell the alcohol on his breath. He said, Boy, you've been drinking moonshine. Bubba answered, no, sir. All I drink is water. The trooper responded, well, why do I smell moonshine on your breath? Bubba looked down at the empty jug sitting next to him, and he shouted, praise the Lord, he's done it again. (laughs) Well, you see, old Bubba knew just enough of the Bible to be dangerous because he was referring to our text this morning. For in John chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine. The success of a wedding party and the honor of a bride's family are in serious jeopardy until Jesus steps in to work a miracle and to save the day. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, And did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. 
And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. In 2010, the average wedding in America cost a whopping $24,066. A wedding will send a daughter into blissfulness and a daddy into bankruptcy. Weddings today have become real extravaganzas. And apparently, not much has changed over the last 2,000 years. In fact, it's possible that a wedding in ancient times may have been more expensive than today. Historians tell us that weddings in ancient Babylon lasted an entire month. During the month, the bride's father supplied the wedding party with all of the mead that they could drink. Mead was a honey beer. And since the Babylonian calendar was lunar-based, this period got the name the Honey Month. In modern times, it's now called the Honeymoon. Today, wedding festivities last a few hours, and at best, a single meal gets served. But in Jesus' day, a wedding lasted a whole week. The wedding party was provided seven days of food and drink. It was like feeding an army. And this was the problem at the wedding that Jesus attended. The host had run out of wine. His cellar was depleted. He was bone dry. He had probably even cleaned off the shelves at the local grocery store. And this was a huge embarrassment. You see, in antiquity, hospitality was an exalted virtue. And the inability to care for one's guests was the ultimate humiliation. The mother of Jesus, she was there. She must have been a friend of the family because she asks her son to intervene on behalf of the host. Mary then tells the servants of the house to follow Jesus' instructions precisely. She says, whatever he says to you, do it. Jesus tells the servants to fetch six water pots standing nearby. Verse 6 tells us that these jugs were really more like barrels. They held 20, 30 gallons each. Jesus says to the servants, fill the water pots with water. Now understand, Jesus doesn't tell them why. He doesn't explain to them what will happen if they do. There's no clue as to the miracle that's about to ensue. They just obey. In verse 8, they draw some water out and they take it to the host. And verse 9 confirms the transformation. You know, usually at such a party, the best wine was served first. Then once the crowd was a little tipsy, they'd bring out the cheaper stuff. At that point, there were very few people still sober enough to notice. But here the host is surprised. He's impressed. This bridegroom has kept the best wine to last. No one but the servants knew that it was all thanks to Jesus. You see, a molecular miracle had occurred. What went in as water came out as wine. On that day in Cana, Jesus saved a wedding. And down through the centuries, in similar ways, he's been saving marriages ever since. You see, John's gospel is full of miracles with a message. 
You see, beyond just revealing the power and deity of Jesus, they also teach us important lessons about life. Jesus opens the blind man as proof that he can remove spiritual blinders from our perspective. He raises Lazarus from the grave and says to us by doing so that he can overcome our spiritual deadness, that he can give us new life. He feeds 5,000 with, with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish in order to teach us that he can satisfy our deepest spiritual hunger. And here, too, is another miracle with a message. Jesus is still in the business of turning water into wine. Just as he took that zero-calorie, tasteless water and turned it into full, rich wine, he can take the drab, mundane, boring duties of everyday life and he can suddenly make them sweet and exciting. You know, one of the leading, but I think most overlooked illnesses in our society today is boredom. I mean, even in a world where people are surrounded with amusements and all kinds of media, entertainment everywhere, people today still suffer from boredom. In the words of every teenage girl, boring. Has your life been infected with boredom? Reminds me of the flight attendant who announced to the cabin, for lunch today, you have a choice of chicken marengo, beef burritos, or fruit salad. And then she finished. And if you don't get your first choice, please don't be distressed. All our entrees taste very much the same. You see, after a while, that's what happens in life. It all just tastes the same. Experiences become blah. Pleasures bland. It's the same old, same old. Life tastes like water. But Jesus has the ability to turn water into wine. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus adds supernatural fermentation to our lives. An interaction occurs between his spirit and our spirit. He replaces our blahs with his bubbly. He restores sparkle and flavor and vitality to life. He lifts us out of our rut. And he turns our lives into an adventure. And let me say... Jesus can not only deliver you from a boring life, but he can also spice up and transform a boring marriage. You see, Jesus could have turned water into wine at Jacob's well, or at the pool of Bethesda, or even down by the Jordan River. But he chose to perform this miracle at a wedding. I think this was Jesus' way of honoring marriage, of showing us his love and respect for marriage. Proverbs 18 verse 22 tells us, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. That doesn't say anything about finding a husband, but he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Jesus would agree with that. He loves marriage, even your marriage. And he's willing to work miracles if necessary to make your marriage the best that it can be. This was Jesus' very first miracle. He saved a wedding by turning water into wine, and he's been saving marriages the same way ever since. You see, Jesus is able to take a workable marriage and turn it into a wonderful marriage. He can take a tolerable marriage and turn it into a thrilling marriage. Jesus can turn water into wine. 
I think many married couples today have set their sights too low. They muddle through marriage. The couple's goal is to survive rather than thrive. Once there was an old man, oh, 90, past 90 years old. He asked his pastor to officiate his wedding. Wedding, did you say? pastor was stunned that the man was thinking about getting married. He asked him, he said, wow, you're pretty old to be getting married. Do you love this woman? The old man said, nope. He said, well, is she a Christian woman? I don't know. Well, does she have lots of money? I doubt it. Well, is she good looking? Not particularly. Well, why in the world are you marrying her? The old man answered, because she can drive at night. <laughs> you see, some marriages are arrangements of convenience rather than celebrations of love. Jesus wants to turn your watery marriage into wine. He wants to bless your marriage with a miracle that will restore its excitement and thrill and tang and sparkle and sizzle and bubbly. In fact, let me emphasize an important point. I believe that from time to time, every marriage needs a miracle. You see, even good marriages have problems because every marriage is made up of two fallible, sinful, selfish people. And you know who those people are. Your spouse and your mother-in-law. <laughs> you know, I always chuckle whenever I hear of a marriage that broke up because of incompatibility. Oh, my. Give me a break. Every marriage is made up of two incompatible people. One's a man. One's a woman. How much more incompatible can you get? As one fellow put it, the only thing my wife and I have in common is that we got married on the same day. <laughs> That's the way it is for most of us. My friend Wayne Taylor, he says this about husbands and wives. He says it's a bit like putting a dog and cat together. There are different temperaments in different ways. There's bound to be a lot of barking, biting, clawing, and scratching. Speaking of comparing husbands and wives to cats and dogs, how many of you have a cat? If you've got a cat, raise your hand. you got a cat? What is a cat? Cats do what they want. They rarely listen to you. They're totally unpredictable. When you want to play, they want to be alone. When you want to be alone, they want to play. They expect you to cater to their every whim. They are moody. They leave hair everywhere. They drive you nuts and cost an arm and a leg. Conclusion? Cats are tiny women in fur coats. Oh, my. Now, I've dug myself a hole, but I can get out. What is a dog? Dogs lie around all day sprawled out on the most comfortable piece of furniture in the house. They can hear a package of food opening half a block away, but they don't hear you when you're in the same room. They growl when they're not happy. 
When you want to play, they want to play. But when you want to be alone, they want to play. They are great at begging. They will love you forever if you rub their tummies. They leave their toys everywhere. They do disgusting things with their mouth, then try to kiss you. Conclusion, dogs are little men in fur coats. <laughs> now, I want to highlight these differences. Recently, I read some startling statistics. I mean, these are scary statistics. Did you know that 54% of American women don't know that a touchdown counts six points? And that 70% don't know that a safety counts two points? That proves how far apart we are. This is, this is terrible. Husbands and wives are like dogs and cats. They're obviously incompatible. That's why it takes a miracle to keep a marriage at its best. It takes a work of God to keep us understanding and tolerating and showing patience to one another. It takes a work of God for us to celebrate our differences rather than bemoan them. After being married to his wife, Ruth, for five decades, Billy Graham was asked to describe his marriage. Billy said, we are happily incompatible. But here's what it takes to be happily incompatible. You have to die to your selfishness and your pride and your expectations of how your mate should behave and your prejudices and even some of your preferences. You have to love your spouse enough to give them room to be themselves. Moses represented the law, and the law found fault. It was picky. It exposed our sin and deficiencies. It ultimately brought us condemnation. Moses was the lawgiver. And you, do you recall his first miracle? Moses held up his staff, and he turned the Nile River to blood. He turned water into blood. And if your marriage is grounded in law... If you treat each other with strict, unbending expectations, if you're judgmental and always finding fault with your spouse, if you insist on standards that are bound to be broken, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get bloody. But Jesus, the grace bringer, His first miracle was to turn water into wine. And if you'll forgive your spouse and choose to look past their inevitable faults, if you choose to treat each other with grace and love each other with love, neither of you deserve the same love that Jesus has shown us. If you do that, miracles will happen in your marriage. This is why my suggestion for every marriage is a lot of kissing. That's right. If you're having problems in your marriage, you need to go home and do a lot of kissing. Just kiss, 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 kiss. Do you know why? When two people kiss, they're so close together, they can't see anything wrong with each other. True. That's why you need to kiss. It's been said the formula for a happy marriage is the same as living in an earthquake zone. When you find a fault, don't dwell on it. <laughs> living under law, especially your own set of laws, will kill a marriage. But grace and forgiveness sets a marriage free to be all that God intended. 
You see, the wedding at Cana teaches us that every marriage needs a miracle, and it teaches us why. Marriages over time tend to run out of wine. Marriage can go flat. Like life in general, marriage can lose its pop and its sparkle and its bubbly. (laughs) Holy matrimony can become holy monotony. You see, it's the day in, the day out, the daily grind. It's the pressure cooker world we live in and all its distractions. It's the responsibilities and our failure to say thank you. It's our tendency to take each other for granted. It's the familiarity and the loss of adventure. It's forgetting the little things. It's a million things that causes a marriage to go flat. It's been said marriage is like a violin. After the music stops, the strings are still attached. So how do you start plucking the right strings again? How do you restart the music? Well, the answers are in today's passage. If you want Jesus to save your marriage from mediocrity, just like he saved the wedding at Cana, there are three steps for you to take. First, invite Jesus. Second, obey Jesus. Third, trust Jesus. Did I make those simple enough for you? Invite Jesus. Obey Jesus. Trust Jesus. Notice first the simplest step, and yet it's the one that's most overlooked. Notice verse 2. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Years ago when Johnny Carson hosted The Tonight Show, he interviewed an 8-year-old boy who had rescued two friends from a collapsed coal mine outside his hometown in West Virginia. As Johnny questioned the boy, it became apparent that this young man was a Christian. He asked him if he attended Sunday school. When the boy said he did, Johnny inquired, well, what are you learning in Sunday school? The little boy replied, well, last week we learned that Jesus went to a wedding and he turned water into wine. Of course, the audience just roared with laughter. Johnny tried to keep a straight face. He says, well, what did you learn from that story? After thinking for a few seconds, the little boy smiled and said, if you're going to have a wedding... Make sure you invite Jesus. Something Johnny Carson would have done well to learn. That's some great advice. The names of the man and woman who, mar- who were married that day in Cana have never, that were never mentioned. We don't know their names, but we know that they were one smart twosome. For they did the best thing that anyone can do for their marriage. They invited Jesus to the wedding. Have you done the same? You see, here's what you get when you invite Jesus to your marriage. You get a pastor who remind you of your vows and coach you how to keep them. You get a wedding director who keep you in step and make sure you know the proper place. You get a marriage counselor who will help you through your problems. You get a family planner who will provide you wisdom in important decisions. You get a motivational speaker who will fire you up and energize you. You get a friend who will be there for your kids. You get a parent to parent them when you're not there. i got to tell you, invite Jesus to the wedding and you'll never regret it. And yet I can hear some of you saying, Pastor Sandy, I wish we had invited Jesus. That's our problem. We were married before we came to know Jesus. We didn't think to invite him. And if we had, he might not have been welcome. 
Oh, we started out all wrong. That's why there's no hope for us now. Who's to say you can't invite Jesus to your marriage today? It's never too late. I want you to notice in our story, Jesus didn't work this miracle until until the wedding party was almost over. I'm going to say it again because I had a hard time getting it out, and it's important. Jesus didn't work this miracle until the wedding party was almost over. This wedding looked like a hopeless situation. And yet at the last minute, when everybody thought it was hopeless, Jesus came through, and he can do so for you. Over the years, I've done numerous vow renewal ceremonies, and I like the idea of renewing your vows. You renew your driver's license and your fishing license and your library card. Why not your marriage vows? And you don't need a ceremony to do it. My, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Why not take a moment with your spouse and get on your knees together and renew your commitment to each other and to God? In fact, this morning, in your heart of hearts, you can invite Jesus to your marriage today. Actually, I'm praying that you will. Well, the second step into turning a watery marriage into wine is to obey Jesus. Notice verse 5, Mary says to the servants, Whatever he says, do it. Here's what you should do. You should get on your knees today, invite Jesus to your marriage, then whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Fill six water pots and fill them to the brim. You know, you know there's two things that I see in Jesus' command, fill the water pots with water. First, he tells them to take what they have and present it to him. Yes, they're out of wine. Yes, it is wine that they need, not water. What you need to understand is that every miracle starts out with what you've got. Jesus miraculously provided enough bread and fish to feed 15,000 people, but the miracle started with what they had, just five loaves and two fish. So what do you have in your marriage? This morning, take an inventory of your marriage. What you got? Well... I don't know what we got. Well, we're, you know, we're faithful to each other. We, we don't really like each other a whole lot, but, but at least we honor the fact that we're married. You know, we're faithful. Well, that's good. That's a good place to start. Take that faithfulness and put it in the pot. What else you got? Well, we got a couple kids. Okay, great. Put those kids in the pot. Well, there are some rare moments when she turns a certain way and I'm sort of physically attracted to her still. And Well, that's real good. Put that in the pot. Well, we got a few hobbies that we really enjoy doing. Been years since we've done them, but, you know, we used to take walk. Well, take walk. Put that in the pot. That's great. Put that in the pot too. You see, take whatever you got no matter how meager, and put it in the pot. Present it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus and pray, Lord, we believe that you want to work a miracle in our marriage, and so we're going to start with what we have left. We're going to give our our little bit that we have left back to you. Here's our five loaves. Here's our two fish. We're going to trust you, Lord, to multiply our meagerness. That's what you do. 
And then the second point I gleaned from Jesus' command is be enthusiastic about it. Notice verse 7, the servants obeyed Jesus, but they did it with gusto. They filled the water pots up to the brim until they were sloshing over. These servants got serious. They made an extra effort. Jesus told them to fill the pots up with water, and so they did until they were sloshing over. You see, don't just mouth a prayer about your marriage without really expecting Jesus to work a miracle. You'll never taste wine unless you're sincere and enthusiastic. And yet I can hear couples this morning with the excuse, yeah, you know, this sermon might be a good idea, but you just don't understand. I just don't feel the way I used to. I just don't love him anymore. You just got to understand that. And I do. And you know what? That's okay. I'm not telling you to love him. You don't have to love your spouse for Jesus to turn water into wine. In fact, Jesus would never ask you to fake loving your spouse. He just wants you to take whatever you got left and put it in the pot. Well, you might not feel love toward him, but, you know, you, you just don't want to fail. You don't want this marriage to, to end up in a divorce. You're, you, you're too proud for that. That's okay. Put that in the pot. Or, or I believe in marriage. It's a commitment to principle. Good. That's what you got. Maybe you're just stubborn. Well, I'm not going to give in. Well, that's okay. Use that stubbornness. Maybe you just hate divorce. You hate what it, your parents' divorce did to you, and, and you don't want to do that to your kids. And That's good. Just take that hatred for divorce. Take the remembrance of your vows. You got that. Maybe you just got some vague hope. Maybe you just would like to save face. That's okay, too. Maybe it's just you got this example of a friend over here whose marriage has worked for years. Maybe you got that example. That's a good thing. Or maybe you just want to, you got a willingness to do it for the kid's sake. I don't care whatever your marriage has going for it. No matter how small, how insignificant, just take what you got and put it in the pot. And do it enthusiastically. Re-engage yourself in the marriage. Fill it to the brim and trust Jesus to work a miracle. I'll never forget the man in our church who left his wife, moved in with a younger woman. The estranged wife, she called me on the telephone and she was crying. And she said, Pastor Sandy, this just isn't right. My husband, he's violated our marriage vow. He's breaking my heart. You, you, you need to go find him, and you need to confront him. Sick him, Pastor Sandy. Sick him. Sick him, boy. Sick him. And so I did. I took the two biggest elders we had at the time. And together, we went over to where he was shacking up with this girlfriend, and we walked in, we sat down with him, we read him the riot act, we threatened to kick him out of the body of Christ if he didn't repent, come back to his wife. We showed the guy some tough love. Well, the next day, I get a call from the man's wife. And I'm expecting her to, to thank me, to be overjoyed, to, to tell me how much she appreciated my efforts. Instead, she's angry. She's livid at me. She wanted to know what right did I have to be mean to her husband. Who do I think I am telling her husband that he can't come back to the church? She was mad at me. And neither this husband nor his wife, to my knowledge, have ever stepped foot back in Calvary Chapel. But I see this couple all the time. I see them all the time in the community. 
and they're still married. In fact, when I see them together, they look happy. Yeah. Some of you were thinking that's a good thing. Some of you weren't. But it is a good thing. They're still married. After 25 years, they're still married. You see, here's what happened. They both got so mad at me that for the first time in months, they had something in common. And it brought them back together. God used me to save a marriage in a way that I never would have dreamed. And the same can happen in your marriage. You don't have to get all lovey-lovey, lovey-dovey, if that's not in your heart right now. You don't, have to, you don't have to get mushy with each other. Just find a pastor and get mad at him together. <laughs> pastor James would be a good start. <laughs> but take whatever commonality you got. You got to have something in common. Take whatever commonality you got and enthusiastically pour it in a pot. You see, when the wedding party in Cana faced their situation, they must have thought, Jesus, why are you putting water in the pots? It's wine that we need. But Jesus knew what he could do with water. Jesus could do with water what no one else could do. He could take mere water and he could end up with more wine than they wanted, than they needed. All Jesus needed was for the servants to get the water into the pots. And all you need to do is to get whatever you have in common and present it to Jesus. Hey, invite Jesus to the marriage. Second, obey Jesus. And then third, to turn a watery marriage into wine, you need to trust Jesus. You see, Mary told the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Jesus told them to take six water pots and fill them up with water. Up until this point, there was no talk of a miracle. Jesus tells them what to do, but not why. In fact, his instructions seem silly, especially to someone with no faith. I mean, they made no sense. If you need wine, what are you doing messing around with water? And you see, this is the problem that you're going to run into if you really want God to work in your marriage. If you really want a miracle, you've got to have some faith. Because perhaps his instructions might seem silly, at least at first. I mean, there are some things that God has already told you to do. In fact, they are so vital, he's written them down in a book. It's called the Bible. The Bible tells wives to forgive their husbands and to submit to their husbands as the church is to submit to Christ. And husbands are told in the Bible to forgive their wives and to love their wives as Jesus loves the church. But submitting to an imperfect man seems about as silly as putting water into water pots and expecting wine. And loving an ungrateful gal seems about as silly as putting water in water pots and expecting wine. And some of you say, man, I don't want a miracle enough to do that. And maybe that's why your marriage lacks the miracle it needs. You see, for this wedding party to receive their miracle, they had to follow Mary's instructions. Whatever he says to you, do it. 
They had to trust Jesus enough to do exactly what he told them to do, even if it didn't make sense to them, even if it was a reach for them, even if it was risky for them. And we have to do the same. To receive this miracle, to to turn a watery marriage into a bubbly, sparkling romance again, you've got to believe Jesus. You've got to believe that he loves you, that he will take care of you if you obey him, and that he will use your simple obedience to work a wonderful miracle. Today, Jesus is going to get very specific with you. He always does. Pay attention to what he's already told you in his word. And then listen to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. For he'll have some other instructions for you as well. And then trust him enough to follow and do exactly what he tells you to do. Jesus saved a wedding in Cana and he can save your marriage. Invite him to enter your marriage and rearrange your attitudes. Obey him. Give him all you got left and do it enthusiastically. And trust him. Even if he doesn't explain how or why, just do it. Jesus is able to put a wow back in your vow if you invite him and obey him and trust him. Then you can watch Jesus turn your watery marriage into vintage wine.